0: I'm Steve Shapiro, and this is Experience Matters. Welcome to Experience Matters, the podcast that explores the life-changing childhood experiences that go on to shape our adult identities. Sometimes we experience breakthrough learning in schools, but often our most profound learning happens outside the classroom, sometimes outside the school environment altogether. We'll explore those powerful learning experiences here and think about the implications for how we can reshape American schools. Education can take many forms, but whatever form it takes, experience matters. Chad Hemmelgarn teaches English at Bexley High School, where his students love his friendly, approachable demeanor. They also appreciate the way he makes space for creativity and personality in their learning. It might surprise them to know that Chad wasn't always the easiest student to teach. In fact, he was a highly energetic and distractible kid. Chad was lucky to have several teachers who used the power of experiential learning to unlock and develop his talents and to help boost his self confidence. His story is a great reminder that the design of schooling doesn't always align with the learning style of some of our brightest and most creative students. Chad was fortunate to have some teachers who recognized his uniqueness and rather than trying to manage him, they did the opposite. They gave him leadership roles. They created learning experiences, particularly through the use of theater to bring out the best in him. Here's Chad's story. Chad Hemmelgarn, welcome to Experience Matters. Thank you for inviting me, Mr.
1: Shapiro. <laughs> I am
0: so happy. Oh, Mr. Shapiro, it makes me feel so <laughs> old. So I'm really excited to talk with you today. It was interesting getting to know you in earlier conversations and talking about, you were kind of a squirrely child. You were kind of a high energy kid. What what were you, what were you like as a little kid?
1: I was a a middle child. uh, Me too. (laughs) (laughs) And I think a lot of middle children can just, uh, we belong to a special group of people. You were
0: playful, energetic. I
1: was, I was always moving. I was always moving. And I had a personality that in school uh, we were taught to sit down and shut up. And I wasn't a bad kid. I was a people pleaser, but I was also restless.
0: So the, the sit down, shut up didn't fit for you. And you were probably no. told to sit down and shut up a lot. Yes,
1: I was. All I- right. I'm thinking back through elementary school, and I probably, as a teacher, would have looked at me like one of those kids that needs to sit close to my desk, you know? Yeah, we're going
0: to keep keep a th- thumb on
1: this kid. Yeah, and, and I don't blame them. Uh, I understand that they had a lot of the pressures that teachers have on them to maintain order in the classroom, but I didn't do well with that. And uh, I was just one of those students that would find a way to make it tolerable for myself so I could sit still.
0: What about your self-concept? I mean, did you feel bad about yourself because you weren't doing what you were supposed to do all the time?
1: I don't think I felt bad about myself overall, but as a student, I felt bad about myself. I was a kid who, I, I hate to say the phrase class clown, but I was comic relief sometimes for people. It was the way I could feel different and special in school when my grades weren't really showing that.
0: Your story is interesting because it was really experiential learning. It was really the chance to do that gave you the chance to shine. And mm-hmm. maybe that started in a big way in fourth grade when you became the ringmaster, which I love. <laughs> uh, tell us this story. You, you you had a class carnival, class play? Yeah,
1: it was, it was a class play. And up until this point, a student can hear so many things before they start to believe that about themselves. By fourth grade, I was kind of quiet. I just kind of did what I needed to do. Watch the clock until I could go home and and be who I really was and just have fun with my friends and and be silly, uh, but I had a teacher, Mrs. Judy Menchover. Actually, her daughter Jill is now our our curriculum director. How great! So small yeah. world. Yeah, uh, this is two hours away from Columbus and the middle of cornfields and church steeples. And uh, Mrs. Menchover was kind and patient, and she was the first teacher that didn't have to pinch me on the back of the arm or just send me out in the hall because she thought I was going to be a disruption. She said, okay, we're going to have a class play and we need to figure out how we're going to do this. And I remember her saying this and kind of sinking, thinking, well, I guess I could, I love to draw and paint. So maybe I could do the backdrop or something like that, or make props. That sounds like something I could do. And she's milling around the room and she came over to me and she said, I want you to be my ringmaster. I couldn't believe that I was singled out for something that was not getting me in trouble.
0: <laughs> yeah. Did you have an idea what that meant at the time? I,
1: I kind of knew. I, I kind of knew. I'm like, that's the person who like announces everything. It was endearing, and it was also overwhelming for me, but she kind of pulled me aside. She said, I just love that you can make people laugh, and I love the energy that you bring to our classroom. And no one ever said that to me. So I was putty in her hand. She could She was the best to me.
0: It was like she recognized your kind of birthright gifts and then honored them with a a role that you could, that you could apply in the classroom,
1: which was absolutely shocking. Like I didn't think school could be fun. I, we had fun moments, you know, some projects here and there growing up, but it was, it was new to me that you could perform and you could be yourself and you could shine and you could be proud of what you can do. She showed me the way for that. So It gave me this new confidence and it also made me feel, I'll can. i never forget, it's in this tiny little gymnasium. I remember feeling proud and I've never felt proud in school. I've always felt like I was avoiding work or I was covering up like why I didn't do this particular assignment, but she made me feel proud.
0: That's really profound. And I think part of the pride I'm guessing came from the fact that it was a public performance that people saw you and you got to shine in front of others. I mean, so much of our assessment practices in school are private, you know, they happen on a piece of paper, but mm-hmm. I love this because it was a, it was a performance and it was public and people could see you. It adds a lot of gravitas to an experience for a kid.
1: It does. And, and it's all, all the uh, school jargon that we hear now, authentic audience. And, and she was doing that before it was something that educational researchers talked about. It wasn't just between the teacher and the student. It was between the student and an audience.
0: Right. There's the community was involved. In eighth grade, you had a comparable experience
1: yes. where you were, where your personality
0: was given space. Yes. Tell us about that.
1: <laughs> so in eighth grade, it's middle school. We had an enigma of a teacher, Mr. Rosengarten. He had a reputation for being difficult, being very serious. So I was scared to death to walk into that room. He ended up being amazing. He was a teacher that promoted project-based learning before it was cool. Yep. Uh, and, and like everything we did was a project. And I'm like, this... Is what school should be?
0: Yeah, why, what was what was distinct about the project experience compared to, say, a traditional learning environment for you?
1: It was the idea that I could focus on my strengths. I could lead a group if needed. Be I could be creative. I could show my friends that I'm more than just the kid that gets in trouble in math class. And it was selfish. I mean, but I was eighth grade, so yeah. I wanted to impress people. Of course, well, like all <laughs> eighth graders, <laughs> but we were. Um, We were asked to retell a fairy tale or a classic story with puppets. And my friends and I got together, we picked St. George and the dragon day of the performance. We have this, he has this big wooden box about the size of a desktop. And one of my friends was underneath with the puppets. I was off to the side reading the story. uh, And we had another friend hold the flashlight. So I'm at home the night before running around my dad's garage looking for what I could use as props. And um, for St. George, I just used a wooden clothespin with a pipe cleaner and wrapped him in foil and made him look like a knight. And it looked pretty good, I got to say. And then I needed a dragon and of course dragons need to be fire breathing. So I picked up my dad's butane torch.
0: Of course you did. Of course I did. Of course you did.
1: Go into the house. I found an old baseball sock that was green, painted it up and made it look like a dragon. I think I even had googly eyes on it. Cut a hole in the mouth, slid it over the butane torch. I didn't think anything of it. Next day at school, it's time to tell the story. We were allowed to change the story if we wanted. So we obviously made St. George get killed by the dragon rather than the other way around. And when it was time for the dragon to roast St. George, uh, I just turned on the torch and I lit it and it shot a flame out about six inches long. And it might get longer every time I tell the story. (laughs) But uh, the night bursts in the flames and then it goes out. And my friend holding the night was more surprised than anybody else that we had set it on fire. Mr. Rosengarten almost dropped his coffee. Awesome. Um, The kids were blown away by it. I saw their eyes look like saucers out there in the crowd. Uh, Lights come on, story's over, and Mr. Rosengarten looks over at us and says, okay, number one, no more torches in school. (laughs) On one hand, great presentation. (laughs) (laughs) On the other hand. On the other hand, we don't want to burn (laughs) our school down. And then he said what I'll never forget. He said, number two, Chad, you are my artistic and creative director the rest of the school year. And I said, what's that mean? And he goes, we'll make it up as we go along.
0: Wow. But he gave you a title. It's funny because you had two, you were the ringmaster and you were the artistic. (laughs) I mean, you had these two. I mean, it's funny that both teachers recognized that they were going to recognize your talent and name it and call it something positive that you could then live into.
1: And it it was, it was a label that I would be proud of rather than the troublemaker or rather than the clown. So Um, what do you
0: remember doing as the artistic director? How did, how did you live into that
1: role? The next time we did a major class project, he would just have me be the one that floated around the room to make sure everybody was on task and bounce some ideas off of. And I felt like I was an important member of the group and the kids kind of reacted at first. They're like, this is interesting. And they went well with it because I was, I I think I was giving them good ideas. Um, Later on in the the year, we had a play that we had to perform a lot of performances that. um, it was a wedding and he just said, this is what we're going to do. You're going to be the groom. And then, um, one of the things that was, uh, a memory that sticks out, we had to uh, write our own script. So he put me in charge of the script writing. We had to make it as real as possible. So we even did like a, uh, in the weeks before the wedding, uh, we did an engagement photo, <laughs> but it was just those little things where, um, he kind of gave me the the steering wheel. Even though it was in front of, and it was for the whole group of kids, I I couldn't believe he trusted me with that.
0: It's so cool because in a way, two things about it. One is that he recognized your creativity and honored it in such a direct way. And Mm -hmm. then the other is that he actually really let you become a teacher. He gave you your first experience of teaching. It was basically like, I'm going to coach these groups. Mm -hmm. I'm going to move group to group and help them come up with ideas. And it's kind of a unique that the kid who was maybe the more difficult kid as a student was given the role of kind of facilitator or teacher in the room.
1: I agree. And I think it did. It sparked something in me. The idea that I could influence people in a good way and make people feel good. That's I mean, that's some of teaching. And then later on that year I had another wonderful teacher. He taught math and I'm not gonna hold that against him. Um and and I hope he never held my scores against me, but Mr. Caney, he was just a gentleman. He pulled me aside and he said So There's a weekend retreat that every school sends a group of kids to, and it deals with leadership and uh, living an anti-drug lifestyle. Do you think you'd be interested if I nominated you? Because I kind of see you as our leader in our room. And again, I didn't see it, but he did. And I got more faith in him than I did in myself. So I said, sure. And this turned into a, a weekend that turned into every weekend up almost through my college years that I would volunteer and work at this I don't know, you could call it a drug-free retreat. It was just kind of a mix of feel-good, leadership skills, get away. It, it was good for the little communities where I grew up, for the some students to get away and feel like they can make a difference. And in working there and working with younger, younger children, I realized I've got to teach. I've got to do something with younger kids because I could connect to them, and more than anything, I could make them feel the way that Mr. Caney and Mr. Rosengarden and Mrs. Menchover made me feel as a kid who didn't feel special in school. So
0: one of the things that's interesting is you became a high school teacher. And a lot of the examples that you're giving were in middle school and elementary school. And a lot of the assessments were performance-based plays or, you know, reenactments or creative projects. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, have you been able to take those kind of assessments, those kind of creative projects and apply them in a high school setting? Because oftentimes we don't see that in high school.
1: It's a little risky to do that. Um, high school teachers take themselves very seriously. And, and I've learned not to. I w- remember my experience. I think high school is when school stopped being fun for me. Like it, it, it turned into a job. And it turned into what do I have to do to get through this? Uh, so becoming a high school teacher was um, intentional where I could add in a little bit of what made school fun again. And I see it. It took me a long time to figure out what made school special for me. And it wasn't all the things that normally make school special for people, like high achieving scores, all of everything like that. It was the relationships that the teachers forged because they got to know me as a person.
0: What would I see in your classroom that would reflect kind of the power of these experiences and how you try to bring
1: those to your kids? I try to get to know my students as people, as opposed to English students, I used to teach thinking that they were all going to be English majors. And that was the biggest mistake of my career because they aren't, uh, it's funny because you,
0: we come out of college where we're surrounded by people who are studying what we're studying. And then we get to high school, but we forget how long it's been since we were in a place where people didn't take that subject as central to their lives. Cause right. that's what we in college with people in your major. That's the way it was.
1: It's a big chasm. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I saw that. So then I'm I'm seeing that I don't have to make them English majors, but I can. Why am I a teacher then? It's to help them navigate the human condition through literature and connection to see that they're not the only one that's experienced this.
0: Yeah, that's such a profound thing to say. Because ultimately, a lot of times we get caught in like we have to cover curriculum, we have to deliver instruction. But what you describe there is a really different way of conceiving what your job is. Very different from I need to prepare kids for college or I need to, it's, I need to help kids grow in some profound personal way. And that, that's a really unique way of, of thinking about your work.
1: I, I, I take that perspective and I also understand the standards and, and what our job description is. So I, I kind of uh, – I try to marry the two and it, it happened. It was like a lightning bolt. Um, I was not able to sit at my desk one day when I was planning out lessons for the week. It was just too full of papers I needed to grade, (laughs) and I sat in a desk where Eric always sat, and Eric was one of my juniors, and he was a professional at not getting his homework completed. And I'm working on this assignment for a poem by uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson called "Conquered Him," and it's about erecting a memorial to heroes of the past. And he read the poem and he understood the the rhyme scheme and all of that, and the homework that he didn't do were the questions, the comprehension questions afterwards, and the application questions. And I'm thinking to myself, Eric's a doodler. Eric's not going to want, this isn't in his ballpark. This isn't his uh, wheelhouse, if you will. So what's Eric do? He draws. What can we turn this into? So it turned into, let's imagine Bexley High School gets torn down. And we need to erect a memorial to it. Design it. And what that does, it tells me that Eric understands the importance of memorials. And he understands how in a memorial you have to pull in a lot of different perspectives from different people's experiences. The symbolic representations you make. And he did the homework that night, and it looked like an architect submitted it. It was phenomenal. So then from that moment, every time I made lesson plans, whether it be the next day or the next week, I would pick a different chair to sit in, a different desk in my classroom. And I saw it from that kid's perspective this kid loves music. So what can I do that's going to hit those standards, but really make it personal for that particular student? So every assignment has at least three options where the first is you can answer the questions or you could do something creative that represents the same knowledge and demonstrates the same understanding, but it's going to be with your twist on it.
0: What you're saying reminds me of a guy named Tim Dove, who I used to train teachers with at Ohio State University. He was a teacher in in Worthington schools. One of the things that he used to do is he created something called the five-kid grid. And so when he planned any unit, he would identify five kids in his class who were really different from each other. Mm -hmm. And he would look at every part of that unit and every assignment through the eyes of each of those five different kids. And much like what you're saying, how do I create learning experiences that are going to create opportunities in the strength areas of all of my kids so that it, it's not like this will be great for these kind of kids, but terrible for these kind of kids. And in, in many ways, as you kind of identified in the kind of traditional model, there are certain kids who just always feel like it's just not working for them. Mm-hmm. And so I really love how you're always thinking about how can I make this work for all kids, even that kid who seemed disengaged or disconnected.
1: Thank you. And it's also, I mean, it's selfish. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite parts of teaching. It's not the grading. <laughs> really? <laughs> it is not. It's, it's. Creatively coming up with a way for a kid to shine, no matter what kid it is. I try to make it as personal experience as possible.
0: It's funny. I bet Eric spent more time on that assignment than probably most of the kids or any of the kids who did answering the questions. Mm -hmm. He probably invested more deeply. He probably learned applicable skills and he was probably more proud of his work than students who had done the kind of traditional assignment.
1: Yeah. And after that, making all those different options, Eric was just fine the rest of the school year. He figured out a way to pick what he could do in each of those assignments and submit his work. So I got someone to do their homework. And sometimes that's the best victory of the day. Exactly. And it
0: was, you know, this classic experiential learning, draw something, design something, create something. And most of the time, people enjoy creative opportunities. and Sometimes people don't, but we have to to exercise that for them and give them a chance to do that. So this idea of doing something, designing something, creating something, performing something, having an outside audience for something, uh, it really changes the way school feels for kids compared to sort of the paper-pencil test world. We read The Alchemist this
1: year, the seniors, and one of their assignments was to write a real book review and post it to Amazon or Barnes & Noble. And you should have seen their faces when they're like, wait, so like real people are going to read this? Yeah. So you're going to want to spell things right. <laughs> yeah, And it it was eye-opening for them that their voice matters So it it continues. And then one student was going to express a character's viewpoint through uh, live tweeting. And she said, I've tweeted the author of the book to see if it's okay with him. And he hasn't responded yet. But to know that they can reach out and talk to these authors, to know that there are real people responding and looking at their work, they see it in a different way. They treat it differently as opposed to this is just for... Mr. Hemmelgarn to look at.
0: Right. No, that's huge. I think the authenticity of students work. And I think we have to always be looking for what are ways that we can connect students to working on real problems, connecting with real people, because you're right. When, when students are doing real work, I mean, think about your own training to become a teacher. You made lesson plans for like a class, (laughs) but then when you had to actually design a lesson plan and teach it, it was like, oh, this is different. Yes. This is different. This isn't about what I, whether I get an A or B. This is about whether I'm going to survive right. in front of kids with this. <laughs> totally different feeling.
1: But when we can really, truly put what we know is best for our students in their work and they give it back to us, it doesn't feel like work every day. It feels like this is a way that I can contribute to the bigger picture.
0: Yeah. What you're describing is kids being joyful and engaged and learning, but also feeling really... uh inspired while they're doing it. And, and it's much how you felt as a fourth and eighth grader and throughout your childhood. I really appreciate you making time to talk today, Chad, because I think your story captures uh, what a lot of parents and kids know is important for young people, which is the opportunity to shine, to find out what they're good at, to be creative and to find an outlet for that in school. And you had a really uh, great experience with that as a kid that you have then brought to your students, which is a gift that you've given them.
1: I know it's it's sometimes you ask people why they were teachers, why they became teachers. And so many of them became teachers because they were good students and they liked the school atmosphere and they liked the organization. I think I became a teacher because I wasn't a good student. And and now I know why I wasn't a good student. Rather than just tuning into those uh, academic all-stars, I feel like I can reach the kid who I would have been. And that's very rewarding because it's when you're a kid and you're so impressionable, Sometimes this one thing a teacher does for you or says to you sticks with you. Like I think of Miss for often. I think of Mr. Rosengarten often. So it is. It's uh, it's you know, you've seen those cheesy teacher posters. It's a way to reach immortality.
0: It's true. Well, Chad, thank you so much for talking. It's been a pleasure talking with you and thank you for all the great work you do on behalf of all of our students at Bexley.
1: Thank you. I, I enjoyed this opportunity.
0: Experience Matters is recorded in Bexley, Ohio, in the shadow of downtown Columbus. Our producer and sound engineer is Ezra Lewis, a junior at Bexley High School. Our killer theme music was written and performed by Isaac Rowe, a Bexley High School graduate and current music student at The Ohio State University. Experience Matters is supported by the Bexley Community Foundation and the Bexley Public Library. My name is Steve Shapiro, and you can look me up on Twitter at Stephen T. Shapiro, or on my website at StephenTShapiro.com. Here's a secret to life that I've shared with thousands of students and of course, with my own children. There's no such things as an interesting person. There are just people who do interesting things. You can be one of them. All you have to do is seek out and say yes to new experiences.